Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, we're back. This is a part two of the COPA conference that we went to with all the exciting stuff that we learned about Andrew F. There's definite theme this year with Andrew F, how, you know, it came out in 2017 and then last We're year. We're just finally seeing the repercussions of it. Unfortunately, that's how these huge Supreme Court cases work. We don't see an immediate right. change. So we, in the last episode, talked a lot about the new standard. There are some opposing counsels in California who like to say that that's how it's always been in California and we beg to differ. Um, but uh, now this is the new law of the land. We're taking into account the child's circumstances and the way that we were focused on the last episode was inclusion. So Amanda really went into depth on one of the presentations that she went to um, actually with the attorney that had filed and taken Andrew F. over 10 years, right? It was like he started with him when he was like seven and he was or when we saw him two years ago he was 17 yeah yeah now it's like 12 years like it's been yeah it's a long case and that's just also like a cautionary tale something that goes all the way to supreme court like you could be in court for years your child could be graduating not to say that we don't think like cases like this are really important they are it's definitely something where yeah you know we often get people asking oh you know Families get so mad about things and we completely agree and we're on your side in the sense that like the school district is doing a lot wrong, but there's almost like a time and place for when a full hearing and kind of sticking it to the man works. You know, obviously we wouldn't have gotten this great outcome if Jack Robinson hadn't taken this all the way to the Supreme Court, you know, but in looking at whether or not it's the right time for you to file for due process or, you know, maybe you file for due process and whether or not, you know, you should resolve a case in a settlement agreement or, you know, proceed to an actual hearing. You know, we often say, we caution, like, you want to look at like what remedies can the court even give you and then how long is it going to take and is the long-term benefit gained for your child is it there or is it not those are always things that you want to think about with any kind of litigation in general you know because it does take a long time yeah and this is a standard right there's not a formula that's not what the supreme court does they just give us a standard but now this standard is the law of the land and essentially what we had before was a bunch of different states doing different things with you know having an IEP that's reasonably calculated to provide educational benefit to the child, right? What is educational benefit? So some districts like the 10th Circuit, some circuits I should say, had this merely more than de minimis, right? And I mean, that's just like some other districts had some progress. So when a lot of different states have a lot of different ways that they're interpreting federal law, which the Individuals with Disability and Education Act is federal law, then the Supreme Court will take it. So, you know, if you see some cases where the Supreme Court's like, yeah, we're not going to take that, it's probably because a lot of the states have a similar view or they came to the same decision. 
that is why it's important folks to know who are in the lower courts. And that's why this administration is very scary in the people in the court, you know, packing not just the Supreme Court, but all the lower court. I forget. Oh, man, I just read it too the other day. It was like, how many seats will for like 50 years be changed in the Court of Appeals. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. So here the court reinforced that every child should have the chance to meet challenging objectives. So the real centerpiece around this being the new standard was that Andrew had basically the same goals, these goals that a lot of parents come to me, you know, it's just not enough. Like, I know he can do this. He can do this at home or, you know, he's done this on his own in ABA and things like that. And, you know, this is the fuel now that we have that we can use. A man had given you guys an example where the teacher was like, I just can't do it. I just can't get him there, you know, and and I had gone to a really great Andrew F. based session where they were talking. It was actually by our good friends up in the north. I mean, O'Neill was one of the presenters, but it was the Tolner Law Group. And Dave Tolner is an attorney that we had met in COPA years ago. And we were so excited that they were doing this presentation because we got to kind of see how they do things, right? So one of the great keystones in their presentation was just like having to do the work, right? There's this need for knowing what the child's potential for growth will be. How do we determine that? One way is through the IQ. So Amanda wasn't in this. So I'm like talking to Amanda and you guys about this. So it's IQ, right? So you and I have had plenty of discussions. We're not licensed educational psychologists. We're not school psychologists. However, there are books out there and they were saying, we got to do the work. We got to use the IQ and other various, you know, nonverbal IQ test scores and things like that. um, Because the numbers sometimes are, they can be interpreted. And if you're not really looking at the subtests, which man and I, that's what we do when we're at IEP meetings, you know, hey, this, you know, what we see it all the time with kiddos with dyslexia, their working memory is like super low, but then overall, they're in the average. average and so then right. it's like, this is not an, an area of yeah. need. And it's like, there should be a goal because working memory is low and this is how right. it affects reading, right? And so they were talking about, you know, doing the work and what they do when they go to IEP meetings is, you know, and same type of thing a man and I always do. You ask a million questions. There's never a stupid question, right? And if you want to know every single minute of the day that your child is do what they are doing, then you have that prerogative, right? right? If you want to know more about what that assessment says. So you have a general test that says the child scored in the average range, but the one subtest on working memory shows deficient. You have a right to say, what does that mean for my child? How does this manifest in the classroom? And now you can say, this is a circumstance of my child that they have low working memory and we should address this and the IEP should address this, right? So that was like a starting point, which was great. And, you know, another thing was, it was funny, he had said this and, and, you know, we always say we use the district's own documents against them. He had said he was at an IEP meeting and he had said something about the child receiving something and the opposing counsel was like, oh, well, this is the first time that you're presenting this to us and you should have told us about this before. And he was like, this was in your own documents. Like, this isn't us yeah. bringing you private information. Like, you guys already know this. And and so he had given us the example, and this is very similar to the example Amanda had given you. You know, if we have a child with some learning difficulties and, you know, the potential for, you know, she just, but for these learning disabilities, 
possibilities. She would be at a fifth grade reading level, but she's at a third grade reading level. The challengingly ambitious of goals or objectives should not just do year to year if she can do more, right? Maybe a year and a half. That's where we start. That's what your goal is, right? At this IEP meeting is to get this challengingly ambitious goal. And if they're like, well, we can't do that in a year, just like Amanda said, you can't do it in a year. Why? Because you don't have enough time with them. Right. And that's not even the discussion because you should never even be talking about services when you're talking about goals. And that's something that like it might be a circumstance where a child has challenging behaviors that prevent them from being in a general education class. You spend a good amount of time on intensive ABA and what happens next? We get the behaviors under control. The child is able to then access the general education curriculum. But the child has been in an isolated classroom for a year and a half. And so therefore they've regressed academically. So because their cognitive ability is is higher we know that they do have the potential to learn more than just a year and that would be a circumstance where you might get into that realm where okay you're now in the position to be able to teach them more and have you know recoup that regression look at not just that regression but you know where should they be in order to master right that language of mastering skills master that grade level content And another of the sessions that I had gone to, and it was in conjuncture with like a special ed attorney, I think they were from Maryland, I'll have to look up their names, and then a psychologist. So it was really great, because the psychologist got up to do his portion, he was talking about how, you know, a lot of times, there's always like an area of the IEP that the parent has like ignored. So, you know, sometimes they're like, I ignored the like accommodations. It's like, no, accommodations, there's so much wealth in there. Like if he has 10 accommodations, but only two really work, why do we have all these other ones? Get rid of it. Like that should be, that's a living document. It should change year to year to year. I can't tell you how many times the accommodations never change. That's why nobody cares about them. Having the IEP annually. Guess what else doesn't change? Present levels. Mm hmm. Even if your concern is still reading, you say, I want present level to reflect parent still has a concern. Parent for a third year has a concern with reading because I can't tell you how many times I've seen the same thing. Parent has a concern with reading. The favorite thing of the kid is frogs. And it's just like, cool, no, we need more. Like, there Or needs that to be information more is only in the parent concern section. But like, keep in mind that present levels should be present levels all across right. the board. All so, across the board. And especially this is important where like, okay, typical example is a parent is seeing uh, meltdowns at home and the school team goes, we never see any meltdowns. Okay, well, in that present levels for behaviors, it shouldn't say no area of concern at this time. It should say school team doesn't appear to he doesn't exhibit these behaviors at school but he exhibits x y and z at home because what happens next year in (laughs) september when all of a sudden he exhibits that behavior at school well this is the first time we've seen it exactly no is it so it's important you know just like you as a parent are part of the iep team you are also part of the decision making and what needs to go into the iep and that needs to make sure that we are putting in all the information across all circumstances across all settings and home is one of those settings and i mean basically the supreme court has said what amanda and i's philosophy has been since the beginning it is equal opportunity right it's the opportunity so when they say you know they reinforce the requirement that quote every child should have the chance to meet challenging 
objectives, the chance, the opportunity. That is how we get these children to see their potential, to have these parents. You know, I know Amanda said a hundred times, you know, we put the best things on a resume. You know, we don't put the things that, you know, and even when we say, I think the last time I had said, you know, you spin it, you say, what's your weakness? Oh, perfectionism. I have to have everything perfect. You know, you try to turn it around. Like that's what we need to start doing with these IEPs. And I think that's what got us really excited for this part two, talking about the practical aspects of how these other attorneys in other areas who are still fighting, they're still bringing due process requests. It's all about the writing for sure and using this language, but using it in an IEP meeting. I was at an IEP meeting the other day and it was a non-public school and, and the district has been fairly easy to, now that he's at that school, you know, the goals are challenging, you know, they're always ambitious when you're in that private setting. But this district person, he was so interesting, like right from the gate, he was just like, you know, because of Andrew F., like I just did a workshop and like, I really want to be, he was like asking all these questions and like, you could See, just I tell like there was a school people had right. workshops on Andrew F. No, if I If you're know. a teacher, a program specialist, an administrator, and you're listening to this and your school has not done a workshop for your special ed department on Andrew F., please tell them to do so. And might I add, we'll come out and do it if you want. <laughs> yeah, we'll come out. We'll do it. You just reach out to us. Yeah. <laughs> We'll do it for free. We're not yeah, trying we're not to, sitting like, there we're not, saying no. We will do it for free. I mean, at this point, like the biggest thing is that this decision came out two years ago. And while we're seeing the lower courts interpret it finally over the last two years, it's the writing has been on the wall for two years. He like did my job for me. Like there was an IEP goal where they were like, He met it and it was in terms of, so this is a bigger kid, but he's like 15, right? And he's already like 6'2". And he has autism and he was, he needed to learn, he had passed the goal of like giving people personal space. However, they saw that sometimes he like horse plays, right? And it's a little bit rough. And because of his size, you know, they were nervous. They could see writing on the wall. It's not like he had done it or had punched a kid or something like that, but they were like, we don't want it to get to that point, which is great because how many times have we heard people be like, oh, we haven't seen it. So like we can't address it. No, you can because it's a unique circumstance of the child and see how I use that buzzword. This is how you guys have to start talking, right? So basically what he was saying was he was just like, but Typical 15-year-old boy's roughhouse, right? So then we changed how we, what the baseline was. And then, you know, because they had been seeing, I guess one of his goals, it wasn't personal space. The goals ended up being a personal space goal. He had accomplished like some other goal, but like it was just so great and organic the way that it was just like, yes, that's true. 15-year-old boys know how to roughhouse. However, the unique circumstance of this child is that he's 6'2". Right. He's like 100, it's it's not like appropriate 90 for pounds. Him to or like roughhouse the same yes, way that another 15-year-old Exactly. And so then it was great. And so, you know, he was using all these terms, right? Like, you know, is that and you have to sit here and think, okay, like, what is the definition of ambitious? Right. But you also want to take into account what it is that your child can do. If your child can do it. And I tell this to parents all the time. And I know we said on this podcast, if you know that. Jean can write her name and her address and they're saying like no she can't I would say you do that we say this all the time go through the goals and see if your child can do those goals and if they can do them then you know you have the proof if they can't you're bringing that to the team right. then one step further these people were telling us you video video, it, yeah. video this okay. child yeah. show them be like this is what is happening right because I get it 
all the time. Parents are just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm not seeing any progress. I'm getting these progress reports, but they're not even really written in a way that like, I know that they're making progress or not. Well, because it's not, you don't have measurable goals from the beginning. And one thing I hear a lot about when we try to push for these ambitious goals is, well, we're not sure if, if, you know, the child can do this much in a year and we'd hate for him not to meet his goals. That is a horrible statement to say. Number one, the law says, that it's contemplating this ambitious goal, giving the access, the opportunity for this ambitious goal. If the child doesn't meet that goal, that's one thing. But it's better to reach higher, right? Because what happens if, which this happens all the time, the team says, we think that goal is too challenging, so therefore we're going to do a lower level goal. So then you go into a lower level goal and the child exceeds it before the annual and no IEP meeting is even though these teams say oh well if they exceed a goal before the year we'll come back and do another meeting never happens right unless the parent is really on top of it it never happens so then we have a child who halfway through the year meets a goal so for half the year they're not making progress versus let's say that we have a goal where the child is supposed to have mastery let's say 90 percent the team wanted to propose 50 percent because the team is like you know, we don't think they can do like 90%. Well, let's reach for a higher, let's reach for more mastery. Let's do 90% because guess what? In the end of the year, they may only be at 70%, but guess what? 70% is still a lot. Yeah, it may not be 100% mastery, but if we had another goal that was a lot lower, so to put it into kind of tangible terms. Let's say we're talking about a reading comprehension goal. The child is in fifth grade, but the child's reading level is at a third grade level. I will often get goals where they're saying comprehension, we're going to propose a goal to be at the second grade level for comprehension and whatnot. And so it's like 80% at a third grade reading level. Well, I might challenge to say this child is in fifth grade. If we're not expecting them to get closer to that fifth grade level, we're not really giving them the appropriate access. We're not giving them something challenging compared to that grade to grade that these typical peers are getting. So what I would say is, okay, if we have a goal that is based on a fourth grade reading level, that might be challenging for them. But let's say they don't make 80% mastery at the fourth grade level, but they get 50% mastery. For 50% mastery at a fourth grade level is better than 100% mastery at a third grade level, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, they may not meet the goal. And this is where IEP teams and schools need to be more aware of Andrew F because Andrew F really put in this guidance of saying that an IEP isn't a guarantee of specific results, that it's giving that opportunity. So if you go and give an appropriately challenging goal, so you give that goal to 80% of the fourth grade level and the child gets to 50%, you're not going to be marked down. You're not going to have a court sit there and say you didn't provide them a FAPE just because they didn't get that 80% of the fourth grade level. But if you were to have gone and done the third grade level at mastery and they met that, you could say that that wasn't challenging enough, but it's harder to prove that. So when we look at like, and that's what I get all the time, like, well, that's too much for a goal. Well, number one, too much. You telling me too much means it's just right, probably. It needs that ambitious. And it's one of those things where it starts with the child, like the assessments, right? That's why it's important to have really good assessments because at the same time, like, you need to walk before you run, right? And you need to crawl before you walk. And so we're not saying that you have to go in, the child at a kindergarten level needs to now be like 
because he's at a kindergarten level, but he's in the fifth grade, needs to be in the fifth grade after a year. That's just not possible. It's just not. You have to take into consideration your child's potential for growth and their disabilities. And how are we, what is the equity behind that, right? And what I think a lot of the school districts are afraid of is, well, if he doesn't pass these goals, then we haven't done our job. And so then you can sue us, right? Because right. I think that that's probably a big thing in yeah, their 100%. mind. And what I think Amanda has done a good job of explaining is that opportunity and it's for that progress. Because now that kid's closer to being what's down the line, mm-hmm. middle school, so that right. they're not that's in the actual special day progress. Class. Yeah. I care more about actual progress than meeting the damn goal. Honestly, like, and that's what everyone should care about, but they don't. A lot of people are like checking boxes, checking boxes. And on the alternative, we have parents that oftentimes get really upset that goals are not being met. But you look at the underlying skill and you look at the growth that's being made because maybe the goal was met for complete independence, but the child still needs one visual cue. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's visual cues all around us. How many times does my phone go off? Because I have alerts that have to remind me for things. things, That is an accommodation that I got. I'm not completely independent on remembering every single task I have to do throughout the day nobody is I've got my to-do lists and I've got all this stuff so at the end of the day if you look at yeah the goal might not be met and so you're like okay well we need to keep this goal well not really because the child is still making good progress on this skill of whatever that task was just because they need a, a support well we can give them that support so that's where we need to look is like that meet what's actually happening not just checking boxes right and I think that when you have us to explain that, you know, it's a little bit easier. It's harder when you're going to these IEPs. Now, I've been in an IEP meeting where a parent um, of a child with a learning disability wanted like a very specific goal. And like the school psychologist, I think they had a reading specialist at that point, did a very good job of explaining, actually, we need to work on this first and then we can do this. But like had this whole explanation and I was just like, you know what? That actually makes sense. Let's have this as the step one. Let's still have this goal just to have it to work on while you're working on this goal. And then, you know, if we get to a point and so it was very low, but at least we were able to a year from there see like, oh, okay, like, look, they did master the step one goal and like they're pretty much now we have great baseline for this and we're going to extend this. It's okay sometimes to have a goal repeat in a certain way. Now, when a goal repeats, you should either It shouldn't just, nothing should change. It shouldn't just be like, okay, we'll have this goal again and then there's no change in service. It's like, obviously, giving the child another year isn't going to magically make them get this goal, right? right? You need to expand upon the goal or you need to expand expand, upon the services. Yeah, or expand on the services. And, you know, sometimes, like Amanda said, you know, maybe the goal was for mastery at 80% and the kids at 70%, they still got a good handle on it. We don't need to repeat that goal, you know? If math is a preferred activity anyway, and it was just like, ah, they had a couple bad, you know, turn because a lot of times when you're able to see, right, and you can ask, how did they pass this goal? I can't tell you how many times parents are just like, the teacher's not ready to show me. And the teacher should have based on how the goal is written. And this is why, like, we're a broken record, right? It's goals drive services, services drive placement. And you can't get to any of that if you don't have present levels of the child. Where do we get the present levels? From the assessments, right? And from what's actually happening in the child's life outside of school 
school and what's happening inside of school, right? So it's the whole big thing. We're all still trying to figure out how to present it. And maybe, you know, what Amanda has said is like new to you. You're like, wait, what do you mean? Like the whole point is to start passing goals, but it's taking it, don't take it out of context, right? Listen to what we're actually saying. If the child has been able to, like Amanda said, complete the goal, but it's not completely independent, look at what if they're making progress on the skill that's the underlying we want to look at the underlying skill rather than just the goal itself because also goals can be i mean how many times i've seen goals where it's like you're not really getting anything out of that goal because you're putting in so much prompting that it's like what are you really getting you're not getting anything i'd rather and just like the goal with my kiddo right he it was something that typical peers do, but it was just like, no, 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 this is still an area of the need that he needs because of his mm-hmm. circumstances. Like we saw this kid, for any other kid, maybe we didn't need that goal, but for him, it ended up working. That's not where I was going. I had another thought, but then that's where my head went. But like it was in more so in terms of just like, you know, sometimes you sit here and you see these goals and it's just like, you know, a kiddo isn't going to school. Goal is should go to school. That's not an appropriate goal. Like the baseline is kid doesn't go to school and it's just like the now the measurable how what? Like no. 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 What or service are you gonna do? They gotta do their homework or yeah. but I mean it's easy to get bogged down in like, okay, your concern is reading comprehension. So the team gives you a reading comprehension goal and it's easy and this is why we say take your IEP with you. Think about it and think with common sense because at the end of the day, if you could be sitting in the meeting and go, yeah, 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 well, I wanted a reading comprehension goal. They gave me a reading comprehension goal. But you bring this goal back and you see that like the baseline and the goal don't really match up. And so when you really look at it and you take a second, you realize that the benchmark says that your child is answering WH questions with 70% accuracy for who, what, where, but the how is at 0%. And then the goal is for how but it's at 20 percent, and you're like well is this really like we know that basically these other wh questions the child is really doing really a lot better right because they've gotten to 70 percent or whatever percentage i said but the how is the more difficult component and we're only expecting 20 percent growth well you know, that's not really giving you a challenging goal because, you know, yeah, it might be more challenging for the last year. And this is what they say all the time. They go, well, the how was a lot more challenging for this child. But guess what? You already had a year to work on this. So that's when you start to really think and break it down. And that's why a lot of times it's really good to bring these home because you can kind of you can compare to the old IEPs and you can really sit down and say, OK, well, what am I asking the child to be able to do? And then maybe you sit And you think about it and you go, well, you know, yeah, when reading a passage, the how questions are a lot more difficult. But if, you know, a situation arises in the real world and we ask, you know, Johnny to, you know, how did this happen? They're able to answer perfectly fine. You know, that's a context that's important to know because then we know, well, if we're already generalizing it in other areas, it's just that reading component that we need a little bit more support, then then maybe the goal needs to be a little bit more challenging. Maybe, you know, having that goal at that level needs to be amended. And you really can't in the moment of the IEP when you're given, probably you were just given these goals and you're probably just given the progress reports. So you can't compare and they're on different sheets of paper. And it's like, it's always good to sit down and make sure that it makes sense. And it makes sense that there is an actual underlying skill that's being worked on, not just... Johnny will sort these manipulatives. 
What good does that? And you need to understand the goal. I know we've talked about that. And, and even for kiddos with significant <laughs> cognitive disabilities, right? The IEP should still be appropriately ambitious. And it's, you know, based on the state's content standards, right? So that they're reasonably calculated to enable the child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. And we're like broken records, right? Like that's the new terminology. We need to start using it. And if, you know, a school district personnel, you know, kind of just tries to step at you with it, you know, saying something different, you know, you could just say, you know, this is my understanding of Andrew F. If you have a different understanding, you know, I'd like to know how you know that. <laughs> Did you get training on it? You know, what's going on? Like, how is the school changing its policy or how's the district changing its policy? You know, don't be afraid to ask just because somebody like says it doesn't mean it's true. Like, I'd love to see where you got that. Like, I mean, there's I can't tell you how many times people have cited, you know, to the ed code wrong right. or like yeah or don't ever get me when i you know and i don't say it in a mean way i just like i would love to see that in writing can you let me know where that is in your district policy or where it is in the law because i've never before heard that in my life well and i think some of the language that we get from ref can really help have a better way we talk a lot about how sometimes parents go to iep meetings and you're trying to express your concerns or express how you're feeling and sometimes the language that you use doesn't resonate with the district because the word you're using means something different for them right we often say you know we want a goal we want them i've often heard parents when talking about goals like we want them to do more okay here's a tip don't say we want them to do more guess what the school district don't care but guess what if you say i want a goal that is ambitious that's a word that they have to use. That's a word that they have to be looking at. I think defining things more works as well because I feel like that's what I do a lot at IEP meetings is like that's not, you know, what parent meant to say, you know, and I say that to parents all the time. I'm like, look, I want you to speak, but if I tap you and then I kind of reiterate what you're saying, like allow me to do that because yeah, you guys are speaking two different languages. I mean, it's still English, but it's like, you know, there's certain terminologies and things that, you know, that one guy in that IEP meeting was using. He was just like, I just don't see how this is ambitiously challenging, you know, and it was great and all, but if nobody is really understanding that, I think it makes it difficult. So that's oftentimes what we see so if you could just be like what do you mean you want him to do more you want to be sure that he can start a task within five minutes of everybody else starting the task that's a great example and that teacher's like oh okay and you know and you say oh well we have a visual at home oh okay i can use a visual like you need to start talking more and if you don't do a lot with your kid at home that's okay too but you have outside providers and if you don't have that if it's just then you ask what is happening in your child's classroom minute by minute? Mm -hmm. You need to go observe. You need to go and figure out what is happening. And that was the biggest ask for thing. your observations to be done yes. during academic Yes, times. of course. You don't want to know. I mean, obviously, recess for socialization. Well, and and like if that. the child, but if still, the concern is the socialization, yeah, then you might want to be during recess. But so you have a right to ask for observations to be done during a certain time when a certain person's there, not during a... I'm going to an IEP meeting where the parent was just like, I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. She went to the observation. She's like, oh, my God, it's great. The teacher's already thinking two steps ahead with the manipulatives. He's already going to send it home to me. But basically the problem and why we're having the IEP meeting later on today was that she wasn't communicated effectively to her. And so she was she literally like woke up and she's like, it's March. We had an IEP in November or October. And I don't know what happened and I don't know what is happening. And she like freaked out. And I was like, let's do some observations. And like, that's what the biggest thing. One of the school psychologists has said too. he's like, you 
you need to go like observe and it tied in really nicely to what the Tolner Law Group was talking about as well as like we need to do the work we need to see it firsthand yeah and that's something that like I mean I have clients I have IEP meetings for every three months because at the end of the day sometimes a district will propose something or we on the alternative ask for something and they go oh we don't know we don't know it's like let's try it let's have an IEP in a couple months and let's talk about it like the IEP that I have later today we're going to be talking about how a program is going that you know we just started and we may need to tweak some things we may need to tweak how parent is getting information back you know we don't know until we have those conversations I just requested an IEP meeting today where it's a you know she got back his grades all D's where are we at we just signed this IEP in November again December and it's like hello and it's unfortunate that we as attorneys of the families and then the families are having to ask for these IEPs. Like all of these circumstances should be things that the district is creating their own saying, let's have an IEP. But more often than not, it's, it's, considered, oh, this is a parent request IEP, and it really shouldn't be that way, but that's why we're trying to give you the tools that, you know, ask for an IEP anytime you want. You don't have to wait for that annual. Go in with a very specific task. If the child, this was great, David had given this example, if the child's really good with one-to-one, you go back into all the IEPs where it said one-to-one, and you go ready to that new IEP with that information. That's what we do when parents say we want an aid, you know, we analyze and things like that. And, you know, sometimes some districts like to do evaluations about that and we get that process started. But like, that's where we start. We start with what you already have. And, you know, I know it's tempting to just put that IEP in the closet and never look at it again, but it's helpful because then you start to notice, right? I can't tell you how many times we write due process requests and parents get so much angrier than they were before they got to us because they see, you know, the same things have been happening. But you guys are in it, right? Look, we could talk about this all day. Hopefully it fired you up. If you have anything specific that you want us to kind of delve into regarding Andrew up with about like what we said, just shoot us an email or if you are part of our IEP inclusive education project podcast, Facebook group, just drop us a line in there because there's so many different ways. We're going to take a little break from the Andrew F stuff and give you guys some other great content. But in case there's anything that we said that kind of sparked an idea in your mind, please Mm -hmm. just let us know. If you're an administrator, a teacher, service provider, anything like that, and you've kind of developed some working ways to create these ambitious goals. Maybe you have some examples you'd like to share with us. Send us a message or put it on our Facebook group. We'd love to be able to give real world examples. Obviously, it's harder for us to kind of share real world IEPs because there are clients' confidential information. So we try to give you these piecemeal informations, like, you know, but we love to be able to like show pictures of like, this is a goal and this is why this goal is ambitious. So we'd love it if you guys share some examples. Thanks so much. <laughs> we we'll will talk, talk to you, you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye.